Hi, I'm Jeremy Robinson and this is the 19th hole. Hi, welcome to the 19th hole brought to you by Glal.uk. Delighted today, we've got another legend of the game, former European tour player, now a member of the Legends Tour, Gary Evans. So, Gaz, thanks very much for coming on. It's a pleasure to see you. You're looking very smart with your glasses on and you're kind of... Um, you can't <laughs> stuck behind oh, you. Yeah, well, I know the feeling. That's what, that's what happens when we all get to this stage. But thanks a lot for coming on anyway. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure. So really, what I wanted to talk about today, obviously, if you've had some great success in the Open Championship. The Open Championship's coming up next week, 151st version at uh, Royal Liverpool or High Lake, as some people know it. But before we get on to the Open, just want to go back a bit on your career. You played kind of nearly 400 European Tour events, played in the Walker Cup. You won the Brabazon Trophy, the Lytham Trophy, great amateur career, great professional career. So uh, kind of just give us a feel. On how did you get into the game to start with? Oh, God. Um, well, I played a lot of sport when I was a kid. Um, anything with a ball. I didn't have any brothers or sisters, and we lived in town. And I lived above a pub. My mum and dad were publicans, and there was an alleyway out the back and some big walls, and I used to kick a ball against the wall or a tennis ball against the wall, anything with a ball. Uh, and then I got to about 13, 14, and my father sort of said to me, look, you know, um, you just need to focus on one of these games, not, you know, you're playing like 10 different sports. And I chose golf because um, most of the other sports I needed somebody to play with, whereas golf, I could do it on my own. Um, and because I lived in town, all my mates lived out of town. So um, I joined the local golf club and um, realised, yeah, I could, uh, you know, it was a great environment to grow up in. It was very safe and secure, but I could spend hours and hours and hours on end around a putting green or a chipping green or on the golf course. Literally, I'd be up there all weekend. So, um, yeah, it was it was just really fortunate. It was good luck. I mean, my mum and dad didn't play golf. They didn't play any sport. So it was pure luck, really. And a lot of people kind of, when they were young like that, if they did like sport and ball games, you know, played a lot of sports, cricket and golf and, you know, all these tennis. So and in the end of the day, people choose, don't they? The one that sure. they kind of want to go and do. But, you know, so moving on to the amateur career, won the Brabazon Trophy, won the Lytham Trophy. You were saying before, you, you did that two years in a row, did you? You won the Brabazon twice and the Lytham twice. Yeah, I did that in, in well, I mean, just to track back a second. So, um and strangely enough, connects really with Hoylake. Um, okay. In 1989, I played the Brabazon at Hoylake at, at Royal Liverpool. And I played with Ernie Els in the final round. Right. You know, as, and uh, I needed two birdies in the last four holes to win in 89. And I, I finished par, par, par. And then on the last hole, which they play as the second hole in the tournament, um, I, hit, I hit the flagstick with a four iron. <laughs> um, missed the putt and, and so I, fi I actually finished fourth that year but yeah I went on to win in 1990-91 both Brabazon and Lytham and I believe I'm still the only person to to have done that mm, Fair effort, so Ernie Els won it that year in 89 did he? 
No, he didn't. I beat him in 89. Oh, um, right, OK. Bob, Bobby Ego. I think Bobby Ego won in 89. But you know the thing, one of the things that I'll always remember about 89, playing with Ernie Els, you know, we were, we were kids. I mean, we were 18, 19 years of age or whatever it was. And, um, you know, coming down the stretch there, I had a chance to win. And I, I had him by four shots at that point in time. And he was so supportive of me coming down the last, you know, you can do this, Gaz, you know. And, and that always stuck with me. And, you know, Ernie Els for me is one of the legends of this game. He's, he's always been Ernie. He's never become, you know, oh, yeah. or anything. Uh, so it's a nice sort of tie between the Brabbers and, and Royal Little. I was thinking about that last night, you know, oh. before coming on here. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, playing the Walker Cup, I was fortunate enough to play in the Walker Cup as well in 87, and you played in 1991. I think yeah. when you play in it as, at the time, you think, yeah, that's great. You've got chosen. It's the pinnacle of the amateur game. You want to do it. But you don't really think it's a great thing. But when you get to our age, it's kind of nice looking back at it. And I played at Sunningdale, funnily enough, a couple of days ago with some friends of mine. And that's where I played my Walker Cup. And it's great. I remember, I remember watching you there. Well, Bobby Ego played in that one, actually. Funny enough, yeah. talking about Bobby. But, you know, from your point of view, and I, certainly for me, I, I feel kind of proud that I played in the Walker Cup. And I look back at it now, and it's, it was a great achievement for me. Hugely proud. I mean, you know, I remember when they were pulling the flags up and everything else at the opening ceremony. I mean, I was bubbling up. I mean, you know, to represent your country in such a historic match, I think is, you know, I think it's a huge thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. I didn't enjoy the result, but I yeah, mean... Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, we, we, were, we were at Royal at Port Marnock there, and um, I think with four matches left on the course, we had the tournament won. But unfortunately, our last four players, their matches, got all of them got turned over, and we ended up losing, which was a real tragedy. It was a real shame because, I mean, the Irish public were amazing. Maybe 20,000 people came out to watch <laughs> us. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was you know, certainly one of the pinnacles of my career. Was... So generally on the show, as I said to the other guys, we, we like a bit of name dropping on the show. So you've done all right so far with Ernie Els. Uh, that, that American team, if I remember rightly, Phil Nicholson playing? He was, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I mean, I was really annoyed because I, I was number one in, in, in the... In the amateur rankings at the time and uh, the Scottish captain put me out third he put I think he put Coltart out first or I, I can't remember whatever so I didn't get to play Nicholson I ended up playing David Duval uh, on the first day um, but and got the right result I, I took his trousers down which was nice um, but yeah it was, it was a fabulous two days um, there was Nicholson Deval, uh, Bobby May. Bobby May nearly won the PGA Championship when he nearly took Tiger Woods down the stretch mm. at Val, I think. So, yeah, they had some great names on their team. Duval was number one player in the world. Or got to number one player in the world. Mm. So, that, there's another name. So, so that was a kind of amateur game. European Tour, say, played nearly 400 events. Any regrets on, on the European Tour, the way things went or not? Uh, listen, I think... You know, I was pretty unlucky. I mean, look, I feel very blessed that I got to play with my heroes, you know, Sebi, Ollie, mm. you know, Banger, all those guys, what have you. It was, you know, I feel hugely blessed. Yeah, my career, 
my career wasn't what it was supposed to be. You know, after six months on tour, I was lying sixth in the order of merit without a win, and I was flying. And then I broke my wrist in at the seventh hole at the Belfry, um, plugged ball in a bunker. And, um, yeah, my left wrist went down pretty badly. Um, I was in a lot of pain. I don't know if you can see this, but it, it jumps. Mm. Anyway, um, we'll see it on YouTube, guys, but they won't see it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's true. That's true. No, so I mean, basically, what happened? Um, I broke my wrist. Didn't know that I'd broken it. I ended up playing golf for two years with a broken wrist, and until one day, I li literally couldn't lift my um, golf club with my left hand. Uh, so I had it operated. I was very, very lucky. I, I, I got. Uh, a brilliant surgeon called Professor John Stanley up at Wrightington Hospital in Wigan um, to sort it out. And but as a consequence of that, my I had to change my grip. So I went from a very standard sort of two two and a half knuckle grip to a four knuckle grip because literally my wrist couldn't take the two knuckle grip anymore. Um, and as a consequence of the grip change, that completely changed the shape of my swing and all flight and everything else and it took me three years to find a way to to make a golf swing that i could repeat and know where the golf ball was going to go um so that whole process through the late 90s was really uncomfortable um and so i never really I, you know really after the first six months of my tour journey um i was always fighting i i you know you lose confidence you lose faith in your your swing and and what you're doing and i found you know in the early 2000s i found a way to play and for 2002 2003 2004 i played pretty solidly and then you know i got a shoulder injury and it was just like one thing after another and eventually by 2006 i just had enough um of, of fighting and and not feeling i was competing where i should be competing and you know i just that was it for me i'd had enough I think if you feel, you know, if injuries get to you and you can't feel as though you can practice to the, you know, that you might want to practice and, and injuries holding you back, it's a very, I would imagine for all sportsmen, it's a very difficult thing to try and play at a top level if you don't feel as though you're 100% fit. That affects you, you know, your thinking and everything, doesn't it? Well, this is the thing. I think to get to the top of any sport, doesn't matter what sport you play, your mindset, your 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 dedication your faith in yourself is built over a period of time you know it takes time to know how how to handle different situations to overcome these situations and get confidence in what you do so that you can stand face to face head to head with the best in the world and feel like you can take them down so when injuries kick in and stop you from participating at a high level naturally it's going to have a, a knock-on effect to your confidence and faith and belief in, in your abilities um, and the, but the annoying thing is you know in the back of your head you're capable but if you're being handicapped in some way and you can't achieve what you know you're capable of achieving that's incredibly frustrating and, and, and eventually you know it, it won its war in my head you know, at, at that point in 2006, I just was like, do you know what? I'm done. I can't I can't do this anymore. I'm, I'm going to say it, happen, it happens to a lot of people, not just golfers, a lot of sportsmen. In the end of the day, that's just the way it goes, isn't it? And it's a shame to end like that. But 
Thank it you. is. And I regret, you know, you asked me, did I have any regrets? Yeah, I do regret. I do regret looking back. It's a shame that I didn't have one or two people around me that, you know, I'd lost my father a lot, you know, a long time ago. Um, but if I'd had one or two very close colleagues that had took, sat me down and um, and actually said, no, listen, we're a bit older than you, we're a bit wiser than you, take six months off. Mm. Take three months off. Go do mm. something else. And I guarantee you, you'll want to continue. Mm. You'll, you'll, you'll find a way. And I regret that I wasn't smart enough or wise enough or whatever you want to call it to have made that decision. Because mm. to quit at 37 years of age is 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 ridiculous. Um, well, I think people play a lot. People play a lot longer these days. I mean, I stopped playing when I was 36 because my back was so poor. I didn't. I couldn't practice enough, and mm. I didn't feel as I could carry on competing at, a, at a, any kind of level if you can't practice. Ironically, for me, the hardest thing to practice with my back was my putting because it's such an unnatural position. So there you go. Yeah. Move, moving on to brighter things, the Open Championship, yeah. as I say, next week, the 151st Open Championship at Hoylake, or yeah. as it's known. So your record, you had a great record in the Open. 2002, well, 2003, you finished in the top 10, but 2002, you finished fifth. And we spoke about this when you played in one of our pro-ams, and I know you like to speak about how you lost your ball. But, uh, <laughs> so talk, talk us through it. On, on that deck, was it on the 17th hole you lost the ball there? Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, it was the seventh. Where, where, what position were you lying in? What, what, as in strokes back? How far back were you, or whatever? No, I was, le I was leading by two. Right. Okay. Even better, or even more frustrating. One way or another. I was leading by two, and um, you know, for me, the hardest shot on the seventeen was the tee shot because yeah. I was a failure of the golf ball. Yeah. And you've got those. It's a slight dog leg right. You know, so you have got a pinch point. At sort of 270 yards, 280 yards, where these bunkers edge into the fairway from the left-hand side. So for me, it was all about could I hit the fairway? If I got the fairway, you know, um, then I was halfway home. And I hit the tee shot, flushed it, and it missed the bunkers by about two, three yards, middle of the fairway. And I had 254, I think, to the flag, pin sort of back, back middle right, if you like perfect for me so you know um i've got forward in my hands and i'm aiming at the left edge of the green and you know i'd been nervous for the previous you know hour and a half you know there was definitely electricity going through me uh, i knew where i was at uh, and my caddy did a brilliant job of keeping me sort of focused and um i just got a bit short with my backswing um just a bit anxious and I pulled it. It was just a straight pull. And I thought, oh, well, you know, that won't be too bad. I mean, I'll be chipping up the green from over there. It'll be all right. And so Dominic and I were striding up there and we see all these people, you know, looking around and no sign of the ball. Anyway, we get there. We find five golf balls in the five minutes. And the last ball that was found was a Titleist 2 Pro V1. And so I've, I've marked it and I've lifted it to see if it's got my markings on. It's not got my marking on. And um, there were hundreds of people there and no one could find the ball. And then the ref says, time up. So I said to Dominic, give me the forward and the ball. And he said, no. I said, give me the ball and, and the forward now. 
He went, no. And he walked with me the whole way back down the fairway, and it was brilliant. He, he did absolutely the right thing, because if you can imagine, you're leading the Open by two. You th you're so close, you've done 70 holes of a 72-hole contest, and your world is like, you, you know, exploding. And um, this situation happens. And he walked the whole way back down the fairway with me in my ear, saying... Listen, we're good. Don't worry about this. Let's just hit the green here. Two putt, make bogey. We've still got the lead. You know, we're good. We got back down. I dropped the ball. Hit the green, the left side of the green this time, about 60 foot from the hole. And as we're walking up to the green, you know, I looked at the ball. And I said to Dominic, I said, I'm going to hold this. I'm absolutely going to hold this. I promise you. And, and you can ask him that that's absolutely the, the truth and i walked around to the other side of the house i'm lining up the putt so i'm i'm whole side of the uh, you know the putt and as i'm down on my haunches i can hear my heartbeat going yeah. it's like it was ridiculous how loud my heartbeat was and i walked around to the putt and it was a double breaker and um I got over the putt and I and the putter head was shaking a little bit. And I sort of tried to ignore it and two, you know, two wafts with the putter and then I let it go. And uh, it went straight in the middle. And of course, the crowd went absolutely berserk, as did I. Um, suddenly, I've still got my two shot lead. And um, it, it was just mental. It was just a mental 30 seconds. But then you've still got one hole to play and I, I'm trying like mad to get back into a, a level of quiet focus in my head and it was nearly impossible because the emotion that I'd suffered over the past 20 minutes mm. was, you know, you've got a two-shot lead. Oh, shit, you know, I've now just lost the golf tournament because I've lost the golf ball. Mm. And you hit the green and you hold the putt and mm. then emotionally walking back to the 18th tee, I was in bits. Uh, and it was just extremely difficult to get back into, you know, a focused mindset. Mm. And then I, I got on the 18th tee and I overthought the tee shot. You know, there's a great big bunker on the 18th on the left-hand side, which yeah. if you go, guaranteed a bogey. And I thought, well, I'll take that out of play and I'll just hit two iron, hit it up the right. Mm. I made exactly the same swing as I made with the second swing at 17. It was a short swing, but this time, rather than release the hands, I held it off, so I blocked the tee shot into the right rough. Um, had a shocking lie. Got a jumper hook with a 9-iron. I knew I couldn't get to the green. I was just trying to play up 60, 70 yards short of the green. I got a, a flying hook, went into the stands on the left, got the drop. <clears throat> Hit a fairly good, um, you know, sand wedge just off the right edge of the green, about 15 feet, 16 feet, something like this. And I chose to just play a little chip and run and it just missed the edge of the hole and I had six foot back. Mm. So you look, you're looking, you know, you're on the 18th green, you can picture the scenes. You've got the 15,000 people around you, the two great big yellow scoreboards, and your name's at the top at minus. Mm. I think I was minus seven and Peter O'Malley was in the clubhouse at minus five and I've got the six foot putt potentially to win the open. You know, it's what every kid dreams about when they're on the putting green and 
it was a two inch swing from left to right. And um, I was shaking like a leaf. And as I put the ball back down, you know, Dominic just tapped me on the shoulder and says, come on, son, knock it in. And my only thought was, just don't leave it short. Mm. <laughs> and I hold it and it went straight in the middle. So that was the bogey. Mm. So technically at the time, you know, I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, I've just won the Open. And then, you know, about an hour later, uh, I think it was Stuart Appleby holding yeah. 20 on the last green to do me by a shot. And Ernie Yells, Thomas LeVay, Elkington and Appleby all beat me by a shot and went and played off. So Ernie won and I finished technically fifth. And the gutting thing about this was if I'd have been fourth, I'd have got into the Masters. Yeah. Well, it still was a fair effort. And then the following year in 2003, another top 10 finish. So you had two great years in the Open. Yeah, St George's um, played... I played better at St George's than I did at Muirfield. Tita Green was off the charts. Um, again, I said to Dominic going out the last round, if we're three under through seven, we're going to win this. And I was two under through six. Right. Mr. Four-footer at seven for birdie, an eight-footer at eight for birdie, a ten-footer at nine for birdie, an eight-footer at ten for birdie. Um, and ended up finishing tenth. Yeah, um, I played really, really well that week. Uh, I couldn't buy a putt. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Open Championship was always, always, you know, an absolute joy to go and play in. It took me a while to figure out how to to learn to play an Open Championship, though. Mm. Well, you were saying before about that. Just just moving on to uh, this year's Open Championship, Royal Liverpool. Yeah. You're saying yeah. about playing that. Have you played the course much? Last time I was there was 89 with Ernie Earls. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and obviously they've they've switched they switch it round for the open, as you rightly say. Yeah. The first hole is the third hole, or 17 yeah. becomes the first. And the par three on the back nine, they've actually switched the whole thing round. So now the T is the green and the green is the T. So right. and the RNA do a do a fantastic job with setting the courses up these days and they put yeah. the tournaments on. So I, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm actually going. One of the guys that we help out, he's um, he's qualified Martin Rowe from South Africa. So I, I enjoyed going to the Open. I went last year to the to one at St Andrews, which was amazing. But yeah. so as a, a spectator now of the Open Championship, yeah, we're previewing the Open. You know, Rory McIlroy's heading the field at about eight to one generally across the board. Can Rory win yeah. another major, do you feel, or has there too much gone on previously? I think certainly from what we saw at LA Country Club, the US Open, you know, he certainly looked more like the Rory that we know. You know, he looked freer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, without question, all the live stuff that's gone on over the last couple of years, you know, hasn't, you know, the PGA wrongly used Rory to, you know, as a sort of stool pigeon, really, which is unfortunate. But I think Rory is definitely thinking more about Rory. Um, which is a really good thing. Um, absolutely, he'll have good memories there because obviously he won there in, when yeah. was it, 14 or whatever it was. Yeah. So, yeah, but the other one, the other guy, you know, Ricky Ricky Fowler, you know, he oh. finished second to Rory in 14 and he's on form at the moment. So both of them will be, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, oh. those two guys specifically. I mean, obviously oh. there's a, 
a lot of very good players playing. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, of watching Rory McIlroy play. I mean, I watched him a bit yesterday at the Scottish Open on TV. And he looks to be playing great, but I just feel, I hope he does win another major, but it, I felt he should have won the, the Open Championship last year at St Andrews. It was in his own hands and he just didn't putt well enough. He just didn't hold the putts and... We all know what happened. Cam Smith, I mean, he's got to be the best putter in the world when he gets that blade going. He's unbelievable. Talk about holding well, putts. But I mean, as Rory, you, just, Rory just faltered a little bit on the last day on the greens. As you well know, sometimes it doesn't matter how good you play, somebody else just does something a little bit better. Other times, you might not play so well, but the person you're playing with falters and you hang in. You know, last year it was one of those days, you know, Cam Smith binned everything all week. Yeah. Uh, Rory played spectacular golf. And as you say, you know, stumbled towards the end. Um, you know, and I, I'd say that probably really hurt him last year. I really think he thought he had it in the bag, um, mm -hmm. which might be, you know, a big incentive from this year. You know, he mm -hmm. might be coming here places one previously uh, and he might think well you know the, the tournament owes me one yeah so um yeah i'm sure his mindset's pretty you know good yeah but as, as you've just rightly said you know ricky fowler's playing great again which is great to see and there isn't a player at the i mean scotty scheffler's so consistent at the, at the moment last 18 months it's been unbelievable but there unbelievable. Isn't a player who is you know, there's not not Tiger Woods about at the moment, which I think makes a major so great because there's there's a bunch of players who can win this thing this week and next week. Sorry, I mean I I think Cam Smith will go close again. Brooks Koepka, the weather forecast doesn't look very good, and the tougher the conditions, mm. to come into his own. You know, and obviously Scheffler, John Rahm's another one, and Victor Hovland. The list goes on. It, it, I think it'll be a great Open again. I I agree. I mean, I think John Rahm's gone a little bit off the boil. Um, yeah. Scheffler's ball striking, without question, is, is is has become legendary. I mean, I don't like what I see when I watch him swing, but it's the result is, is phenomenal. Well, we were uh, saying, Gaz, the other day, I was talking to some guy, you know, the amount he's so consistent from tee to green. And it's unbelievable how he is that consistent when his feet are all over the place. Oh, my God. I mean, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think that would breed consistency, would you? No. But, you know, it, it's the same old thing, you know, that we've always known. There's no way, one way to play this game. You, all you've got to do is whatever you've got, what, however you swing it, as long as it's consistent and you know where it's going, it doesn't have to look pretty. It doesn't have to look conventional. Look at Victor Hovland. Mm. Look at Kepka. Look at John Rahm. Scotty Scheffler. The, uh, Ricky Fowler, how he was. Yeah. You know, all of them are very, very different golf swings. Um, you know, so that's why this game's so great. You know, you know, I just love this game. But yeah, I mean, looking at the field, I mean, you know, Jordan Spieth, you kind of, you know, he's a gritty player, you know, Tommy Fleetwood coming back to, you know, an area that he knows, um, you know, I quite like, you know, Max Home is a bit of a plodder, mm. but I don't can handle, you know, the British weather. Don't know. Tyrrell Hatton. The close, you know, what year he's had. You know, you know, this Sepp Stracker, I don't know anything about him, but yeah. you know, again, uh he's won in the States and and but what I think what will be interesting, Podrake Harrington. Wow, yeah. 
You never know, safe, especially if the weather gets bad. I mean, talk of an outside bet. I mean, he's got to be over 100 to 1. But oh, as, an, as an each-way punt, I've got to say, you know, Harrington, he's, he's a grinder. He knows Lynx golf better than pretty much anybody. And uh, if he gets his eye in on the greens, I tell you what, he, he could have a bit of a sniff at this. I know I oh, might sound... No, no, I agree. I mean, I, I, was, I spoke about him on the show before the US Open. He was 300 to 1 each way for a top 12 spot. And he finished yeah. like 25th in the end. Going yeah. into the fourth round at Los Angeles Country Club, he had a chance of not to win, but certainly a chance of finishing top 12. And I, I totally agree with him. And he hits the ball as far as most of these guys still, doesn't he? Yeah. And he's yeah. so competitive. I mean, there's nobody oh. more competitive than Harrington. So I don't oh, yeah. shout. But to put you on the spot then, who do you think is going to win? <laughs> I know it's, well, just as we were saying, though, this is why I think it's going to be a great open because... There are so many people who can win. I think, um, I yeah, I mean, it's very hard to look away from the top guys. But I, I always think, you know, I always like to look at a bit of an outsider. So, you know, I think Fleetwood would be a hugely popular win. Definitely. Particularly, particularly in the area. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. If he, bring, if he brings his putting game... I'd say he could go close. Yeah. Um, well, you know, he went it, close before when uh, Larry won at um, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, didn't he? Port Rush. Port Rush, yeah. So, yeah. and that was bad weather. So, but come on then. So, you, you're going for Fleetwood, are you? Yeah, I'll go for Tommy Fleetwood. Yeah, why not? Let's just go. I, I like to leave, be a little bit outside. I mean, everyone goes for all the favourites, but yeah, yeah I'll, go, I'll go Fleetwood. Yeah, well, it's a good shout. So, you can't argue with it. I, I, I'm going for Cam Smith. I think he'll defend it. I, I do yeah. think he'll defend it. And again, you you know, you can't argue against it. But as I say, I'm looking forward to going up and watching. It's going to be a great open. I'm sure the course will be brilliant. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, it, it's going to be great. And the weather could, you know, the tea times could have a bearing with the wind and everything. So, which is all part of the open, isn't it? You know, you can get lucky with the tea times and you can get very unlucky. And you need to be on the right side of the drawer if the weather's bad. 100%. So, moving on, before we finish, I know you have views on live, and <laughs> so we're not going to go down that route. We're not even going to start talking about that. But what I'd like to ask you is, how yeah. would you like to see golf in a year's time? Don't, don't start talking about what has gone on. What would you like to see briefly now? Because I know you've got been gone about this. So I want you to be brief. In, <laughs> if we're sitting here this time next year, would you like to see a merger between... DJ Tour, DP World Tour and live, or would you like to see them go in their separate ways and kind of, is there room for everything? Um, I would like to see uh, a new product. I would like to see uh, more of a world tour. I would like to see the 100 best players uh, from, from whichever tour they're currently playing on, uh, playing together say 15 events a year yeah as your premium golf product and then you could retain your other tours around the world asian european pga you can keep all of those in place but if you had a premium product hmm. which was the world's top 100 
I think that it, with a way that let's say 50 guys lose their card and 50 guys, you know, literally, you want it to be a very competitive uh, uh, space where people have got to earn their right to stay in that special space. Um, so it doesn't become an exhibition match. Yeah. Um, and that way you give each tour an opportunity to, to get their players onto that premium stage. Okay. I think, it, it, you know, I, whilst you know I have very little thoughts and feelings for... Uh, We're not going uh, down that route. <laughs> certain couple of players, believe it, um, that historically have been a bit of a voice box for certain things. But if it were me, that would be for me, because I love this game, and I think we should be watching the world's best playing against each other on a regular basis. But I don't want 40 weeks of that. I want, I want a premium package of, say, 12 to 14, 15 events a year where they come together so the majors retain their, their you know, their respect within the world of golf. And you have these other 14 events. Something like that would, would tick my box. Well, the cut though on those hundred player fields, I presume you hundred percent. Yeah, hundred yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. But I think the first thing they've got to do, I think that's easily do well, not easily doable, but it's doable. But the first thing they've got to do, they've got to get the world rankings sorted out, haven't they? So they well, know yeah. who the, who yeah, the I mean, uh, players are. As it stands, obviously they can't do that, but they've got to figure this out. They've got to find a way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, without a cut, it's not sport. No. Without without jeopardy. It's not sport. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to have a, a winner and a loser. You know that's what sport is all about. You know whether it's oh, football, cricket, or anything like you know. Yeah, you've yeah. got to have losers, and and you know none of this like oh it's all about the competition, man. No, it's about <laughs> winning and losing. That's what sport is. Yeah, and so uh, yeah, having a cut is is imperative. Well, the, the winning and the losing is the great element of the competition because you just have to look at the cricket at the moment with the Ashes. It's been you know, it's been brilliant, and but everybody, well, certainly the, we want England to win, and the Aussies want the Aussies to win. But nobody can argue; it's been great viewing, and there's two more left, and ho hopefully, we're just as good. So, but it, I think it's a what you're saying is a pretty simple uh, solution to the whole thing. But it just seems like there's a long way to go before they can get something like this sorted. Whether the right people are in there or not, I don't know. But we're not going down that route. As I said to you before, so that's your view on it. So thanks a lot for coming on, but I'll finish by just mentioning the Seniors Open at Fourth Call, which hopefully I will be qualifying for, and you're already in it. So yep. you must be, again, going back to the Open Championship and great tournaments, etc. another great course, Fourth Call. Never had the Open, but a, a magnificent golf course. So you're looking forward to going down to Wales to play in that? Yeah. I had a practice round down there a couple of weeks ago in 20 mile an hour winds with rain and yeah. uh, uh, you know, classic summer British classic weather. Well, classic Wales, uh, Welsh summer yeah. afternoon. Um, the golf course, you know, again, I hadn't played there since 1980. Oh, I want to say, I don't know where it would, it would have been about 86 or 87. We had the British amateur down there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, those. Those opening sort of four or five holes are just world class, um, oh. and you know, really uh, that sets the tone for the day. If you get through those holes unscathed, then you know you've got a chance of shooting a score. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, a great golf course. Um, really looking forward to it. Um, let's just hope we get. I, I, I like a wind. Yeah. I like a. I just don't want it to be the wind and rain and, and all the rest of it because you, you know you want the spectators to come down there and have a great time and, and yeah. enjoy. You don't want everyone to get you know soaking wet. So no. No, um, as you say, it's it's a great course and it's a it's a beautiful yeah. area of the world on a, on a oh. nice paper on a nice afternoon and it, it's it's stunning. Just, it's a stunning place, it really is. And yeah. As you say, hopefully the weather will be good. So, But anyway, mate, thanks a lot for coming on. I'm glad we didn't go down the live route and start talking about too much <laughs> about that. But uh, it's been intriguing to to hear your opinions on the Open and, and to look back at the Walker Cup and everything. So uh, thanks well, for coming on. And uh, hopefully I will see you in Wales in about 10 days' time. 